Welcome to Sustainable Sessions, hosted by yours truly, Lucas and Lauren. Episode 10, featuring Regenerate Biogas. I am the president and founder of Regenerate Biogas, and I'm 39 years old. And um, Regenerate Biogas is a developer of uh, organic waste solutions. And so specifically, we're focused on anaerobic digestion, and biogas projects, uh, which includes electricity or renewable natural gas. Uh, but we are also interested in and, and more recently started to supply technologies for processing organic waste on site rather than needing to uh, ship it to a centralized waste processing facility. Awesome. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, and uh, so my name is Vanessa Fiore. I'm 21 years old and my role in the company, it's, you know, kind of fluid, I guess. Um, I started, I actually joined Daniel about a year ago because I was really passionate about the on-site food, food waste processing technologies that he had to offer. And I wanted to pitch it to my university. And then that ended up becoming a co-op uh, job for me during the winter. So uh, now I've been just working with him sort of on a full-time basis and now part-time basis during the summer um, it, to help him sort of market and scale some of the technologies that his company offers. Awesome. Yeah, that's super cool. And like, we definitely want to kind of get into that. Uh, so I guess we can go right into it. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah, can you just kind of talk about that a little bit more? Because this is definitely like... Break um, it down maybe for people who wouldn't know. Like, like a little kid kind of trying to understand sure. this. Like, um, yeah, it's definitely a really cool topic. And like, when you think of the whole spectrum of climate change, like this is a really unique niche. So like, um, yeah, just elaborate as much as you can on it. Okay, sure. So let me uh, try to organize my thoughts a little bit. So first of all, the starting point or the entry point for me into this industry and in terms of climate change, the aspect of things that I'm passionate about tackling are food, waste, and energy, and essentially how they all link together. So specifically, I try to add value when it comes to the waste and the reason for for that is that organic waste, when it ends up in a landfill, is quite a potent contributor to greenhouse gas emissions. So essentially, the way that biogas is created also happens in a landfill when the organic waste ends up there, where you take the organics and then other garbage gets buried on top. Essentially, you create an oxygen-free environment within the layers of the landfill, and then bacteria start to eat the waste and release methane uh, through their own digestive, digestive processes. So when it happens in a landfill that does not have a landfill gas capture system, that methane ends up in the atmosphere. And methane is 25 times more powerful than carbon dioxide in terms of its greenhouse gas warming potential. So that's kind of the uh, emissions aspect uh, that we're trying to tackle. And then the other thing with organic waste is that it's full of nutrients which makes it an incredibly good thing to use to grow more food uh, if you can sort of keep it and repurpose it into uh, the, the core nutrients and soil. So um, in the landfill, those nutrients get lost forever because they get mixed with plastic and glass and everything else. And they're just in this big hole in the ground. Whereas in an anaerobic digester, what you do is you have like a purpose-built tank. It could be made of steel, it could be made of concrete, and you load up only organic waste with some minor amount of contaminants, which tend to always be in the waste. Um, but when you can just have only the organics in this controlled environment, 
where you keep it the same temperature as our bodies uh, and you stir it around constantly and you create an oxygen-free environment. So more or less exactly as our stomachs work, mm -hmm. the waste will start to be digested uh, rather than our bodies using the energy to keep walking around and getting through the day. The energy is captured as biogas, which is, as I said before, primarily methane. And you could use that gas for any of the same kinds of things you would use natural gas. So you could burn it in a generator to make electricity. You could uh, clean it up, uh, which means removing the carbon dioxide and inject it into natural gas pipelines where it could then be used in any number of applications from transportation in a compressed natural gas vehicle or um, heating for homes or businesses or other industrial purposes or even power generation somewhere down the pipe. And so um, that's the energy component of, uh, of the whole process that I get excited about is that basically you're taking something that society and, and many people within society call waste and you turn it into something we all value, energy. And then the waste product of this process is fertilizer that you could then use to put back on the fields and grow some more food for next year and, and keep the whole circle going as the circular economy preaches. Uh, now, the other aspect of what Regenerate is interested in and has to offer evolved out of my interest in anaerobic digestion and diverting organics away from landfills. And that's on-site processing technologies. And so the goal there is to just take the concept that I was talking about of diverting the waste and making energy one step further and keeping it off of a truck and making the energy right where the waste is produced for the host to use. And so through smaller scale processing technologies, the organics can be either dried, if we're talking about just a, um, a minor amount of organics like a shopping mall or a restaurant might produce, or um, you know, it could be processed uh, on site to make gas and power and heat for that host to use. And the business case supporting either of those technologies is really based upon the avoided waste management cost. Now, of course, there's a cost for these technologies and operating them, uh, but the cost is less than the cost would be to put it on a truck and send it somewhere, uh, depending on where the somewhere is. And so that's where regulations come and interplay with this industry very much. Um, so right now, for example, in Ontario, uh, there is not a regulation stopping businesses or waste management companies from taking organic waste to a landfill. So even though it's most environmentally expensive, let's call it, because of those GHG emissions and the lost nutrients, uh, it's still economically the cheapest option. And so other jurisdictions around North America have already uh, banned organics from going to landfill. It's kind of one of the low-hanging fruit when it comes to fighting climate change is let's keep this source out. Let's minimize those methane emissions. Um, but um, Ontario is on its way. It's just we're not quite there yet. Um, so until that becomes uh, a non-option for waste producers, it'll always be that cheapest option. And so as you guys know, of course, there are many different types of businesses in our uh, society. And so some of them care to make the right choice and will pay a little bit extra to ensure that their organics are composted 
or are made into biogas, whereas others are still making a purely economic choice and um, it, it's going to landfill. But um, I would say, oh, on you know, in some, uh, it does seem like more and more businesses are choosing to separate their organics and have them managed as a separate stream, which is excellent. Um, and so the, the, the part of that where uh, it supports the on-site processing model is that uh, it's more expensive to have your organics separated from the rest of your material, having a separate stream of bins in the back, and then having a dedicated service for those organics. And so when, once a business has uh, committed to going down that path, we're, we're looking to um, defray those costs while avoiding the GHG emissions that come from the garbage truck. So those are all diesel fueled trucks for the most part. And, um, and then it's trucked sometimes uh, two, maybe 300 kilometers, maybe more uh, to get to wherever it's going, whether that's a compost facility or a biogas plant, there, there's not a ton of options. There are an increasing amount of anaerobic digestion projects around the province. Um, but the, the GHG impact of those truck miles is the big thing that we're looking to target with the onsite. And then the other aspect is really the energy that comes out of the machine. Um, you know, you're producing essentially green energy for yourself. So there's a reduced reliance on either fossil gas coming out of the pipe connected to your facility or, or grid power, which in Ontario is quite clean. Um, it's going to get a little bit dirtier coming up when the nuclear plants are being refurbished and we have a lot of gas-fired power coming online. Uh, but nevertheless, I think Ontario, relatively speaking, has a clean power grid. So um, it's, it's, it's really uh, about that energy offset and about keeping the organics out of the landfill. And then the other aspect where we come in and, and add value to the process is, as I said before, about growing food. So once the digestion process is complete or once the dehydration process is complete with one of our other technologies, we will come and remove what's left over at the end of the process. And uh, we will process that material a little bit further uh, using various mechanical, biological, or thermal treatment methods with the goal of putting it in a bag and selling it as a high value fertilizer product, whether that's to gardeners or specialty growers and greenhouse operators. The goal is really to maximize the value of this resource rather than treating it like a waste. And it's you know, constantly a negative story in terms of lines on your, your uh, income statement. It's an expense always. And uh, you know, the GHG impact is always there and uh, on, so on and so forth. So uh, it's really, I think, about trying to uh, shift mindsets on one side, but, but really just you know, grab at what's very much a valuable resource for, for us, but it, it's, a, it's a waste for another business. And so, you know, like, like all other kinds of byproducts, when you can do something more productive uh, with something somebody doesn't need, then, you know, it's a nice win. As the, as the saying grows, uh, goes, one man's uh, waste is another man's treasure. And um, certainly I look at things that way. And uh, that was how I got into this industry in the first place was um, really being intrigued by, by this idea um, both from a business sense and uh, environmentally 
that you could take what others are literally throwing away and, uh, and make two very valuable products from it um, and then get paid for taking the waste, get paid for making the energy and get paid for selling the fertilizer. Uh, it, it works really well in concept. It is hard to execute, but um, it, it's, you know, it, that's what got me in and excited in the first place. Awesome. awesome. Well, yeah, that was an incredibly detailed answer. Definitely. Like, <laughs> you definitely touched on a lot of the topics and we'll, we'll kind of pick at some of those as we kind of go through it too. But um, I guess, um, yeah, I think you simplified it very well when you kind of gave the example. It is when you take away the oxygen, like an internal stomach, and it basically is doing that. And I think that that's a really cool concept just to think of it that way. Um, that is what the concept of composting is. And then taking that energy, um, using it for electricity or for whatever purpose is there, um, offsetting you know, by bringing it into all these smaller versions and placing them throughout the city or wherever it's going to be, allowing it to be more on site. So you reduce the transportation. Um, and yeah, that's, it's super cool. And I, I think it's an incredible idea. One of the reasons why we wanted to have you guys on here. So that that's really awesome. Um, I guess to kind of backtrack a little bit, uh, I know, um, Daniel, you talked about kind of why you, you got into this with respect to your interest, um, but even Vanessa too. So like, what kind of got you into becoming, let's just focus more on entrepreneurs, rather than just sustainable entrepreneurs, but what kind of wanted you to, where was kind of the driving force that wanted you to get into this type of startup? Um, and what has that experience been like in these early stages as you guys are kind of trying to start to execute your idea? Yeah, um, so it's kind of ironic because I actually never wanted to go into entrepreneurship or have anything to do with business whatsoever. I've always been a passionate environmentalist. All throughout high school, all throughout elementary school, it's just been something that I'm, I was super passionate about. And I was president of Eco Council in grade 12 and I was asked to do a hackathon and it was a hackathon specific to uh, sustainability and environmental solutions. I had no idea what a hackathon was, but I'm like, you know what, I'll give it a chance. And I actually really fell in love with the process of ideation and developing and brainstorming a solution that can help address a certain environmental issue. And, and I really enjoyed that process. And actually, my team ended up winning first place out of the other 15 teams that were there. We got into the finals and we won. Uh, that, act that solution that we developed there in that competition, it was related to food waste because I think we all have this mutual understanding that food waste is a significant issue with both the emissions, the methane emissions that it produces when rotting in a landfill, and just the waste culture in general of people, you know, cons both consumers and industries throwing out all this food when it can be repurposed for other uses, and it has potential to produce energy, as we mentioned. Uh, so the reason why I got into, I guess, the biogas industry and working with Daniel was because when I was 17 years old, I was still in high school, Catherine McKenna, who was the former Minister of Environment and Climate Change at the time, made an announcement of this, this contest that the Commission for Environmental Cooperation was running. The, the Commission for, it's called the CEC for short, and basically it's a coalition between the three North American governments, Canada, US, and Mexico, and they meet once a year and talk about what each of their countries are doing in terms of sustainable development. And they posted a challenge for youth between the ages of 18 and 24 to submit an idea related to an environmental issue. Given my experience at the hackathon, I was like, oh, perfect. I'll just utilize the, you know, the issue of food waste and try and come up with a solution. And at the time, I didn't really know that microanaerobic digesters existed. So we developed this, <laughs> this solution where we're like, oh, let's just convert food waste into energy on site because then it'll help, you know, avoid the emissions created from the transportation of food waste to landfills. It'll help promote a circular economy, which 
is I think a really big buzzword nowadays, especially with the UN Sustainable Development Goals. That's something that's widely discussed, which I think is great because I think it is really important that we go in that direction. But anyways, I ended up winning that as well somehow. <laughs> I don't, um, and it was out of 167 ideas we want, we got top three. And then um, I wanted to continue the work. I wasn't exactly sure, you know, I don't have any engineering expertise or business expertise, I guess, in terms of training, but I did want to continue and foster this idea that we've developed and because I did think it was genuinely feasible and I, I think it's a way of the future. So I ended up finding Daniel because I know he runs the ZooShare project and he sort of developed that off the ground. Um, and I was really interested in his work. So I reached out to him, <clears throat> told him a bit who I am. Uh, and we had a little bit of a discussion. And then months later, I reached back out to him to, to ask him more questions. And he ended up being like, oh, okay, instead of developing your own technology, I have some technologies that you can help sell uh, and, and market to different companies. So why don't you assist me with that? So that's kind of how I got started in terms of working with Daniel. But I was passionate about you know, about biogas solutions from beforehand, just because I did research the potential of it. You know, there's a lot of potential in Ontario, I think 250 megawatts worth of potential for biogas development in Ontario alone. Um, and also, again, as I mentioned, it is a very feasible solution in terms of addressing not only food waste, but producing renewable energy and clean energy as a result. That is huge. You both are just so on the ball with everything. And it's really awesome to hear how motivated you guys are. You just mentioned the Zoo Share project. I don't know if Daniel, if you want to like um, elaborate a little bit more on that. I don't know if I said that right, but um, how you guys kind of like got in contact, what that, what that kind of looked like for you, Daniel. Uh, sure. So the, the Zoo Share project is a biogas project at the Toronto Zoo that was um, initiated in late 2010. And it's a community-owned biogas project, which generally speaking refers to the cooperative that owns that project. Um, so it started as a ZooShare Biogas Cooperative, and it's a 500 kilowatt project, um, which means that we're going to take 15,000 tons of commercial food waste and 2,000 tons of zoo manure and digest those two streams together to create 500 kilowatts worth of electricity, which is sold to the provincial power grid under the feed-in tariff program. And um, the other sort of unique aspect of this project besides being at a zoo and uh, getting to use uh, puns about zoo manure all the time uh, <laughs> is that um, the, the financing for the project uh, and for the development came through the sale of community bonds to retail investors like ourselves. And so the minimum investment was $500. We offered an attractive interest rate on the bonds and um, we, we sold them really with the story of, um, you know, making an environmental impact, supporting the Toronto Zoo, um, you know, that it being sort of close to home uh, for a lot of the investors rather than, you know, a project that's sort of off in, in some part of the province you've never heard of or never been to, you know, lots of people who live and work in and around the GTA have some connection to the Toronto Zoo, uh, whether it's because they took their kids there or they went there as a kid themselves. Um, you know, that was for me the truth. Uh, that when we went out there and started working on this project, you know, I hadn't been to the zoo since fourth grade. 
and uh, you know just walking around it's 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 a beautiful location uh, in the Rouge Valley there but it, it's also um, you know one of the top zoos in the world when it comes to sustainability and conservation and animal welfare uh, so we were quite um, proud to be associated with the zoo and uh, with the, you know taking its manure problem and and turning it into a revenue source for the zoo but also a return on investment for investors and so um, as a result of all of those poupons uh, <laughs> that were made um, the media really liked the story of zoo share and so we got a tremendous amount of press and uh, so it, it did uh, attract a certain amount of attention uh, to people like Vanessa that were interested in working in this space and saw, oh, what you know what is this project um, you know, what, what is this person about? And so, yeah, that's how we got connected because, you know, she reached out to me and, um, you know, as you guys identified, she's quite passionate. And, uh, you know, I think I was quite impressed uh, in terms of uh, Vanessa's gumption. Um, you know, I, I don't, I'm, I'm 39, so I'm, I don't necessarily know too many high school students right, right at this phase of my life, uh, but I don't imagine <laughs> too many are, you know, contacting entrepreneurs and saying, you know, I want to do this too, you know, wh what can I do to get involved, what, you know, whatever. So I, I think I was just um, intrigued by someone that was, you know, had the gumption to get up and go and, and get involved. And so, um, yeah, as Vanessa said, she, she's been working with me uh, since, well, I think January is when the co-op term officially started. Uh, and then we continued for the last few months on a part-time basis. And uh, now Vanessa's going back to school uh, for, for to complete her, her environmental sciences degree. And um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see if we can continue to work together going forward. But, um, you know, it's, it's great to see from my end that people are so interested and inspired and want to work in the biogas space because that was definitely a big part of my goal when I started ZooShare uh, was to attract attention, uh, professional attention, really, in addition to those investment dollars um, to the industry. Um, you know, I, I've been going to the biogas conference each year, you know, I see all the same people. It's, you know, a lot of, um, you know, engineers in their, um, you know, forties and fifties, let's say, and, uh, there's not a ton of business people that go, there's not a ton of younger people to go. It, it's just, it's increasing certainly. And that's great to see. So I was, uh, heartened, uh, you know, to, to be able to work with another, young person who was really interested in the fields and wanted to put her stamp on it. So uh, I think that's how we sort of came together. And uh, that's, that's what ZooShare is about. Awesome. Yeah, that's, no, that's incredible. And like, what a story, like for you guys and like everything that you guys did with the Toronto Zoo. And, and like, it just in general, this is such a crazy topic. Like I just, it's something that Lauren and I want to learn more ourselves um, and just to understand it a little bit more. And you guys have already sharing so much that I'll, yeah. And I think a lot of consumers too, like I had literally no idea about the zoo and that's something like you said that hits so close to home and there's so many opportunities within there that you were able to capitalize on. Um, and I guess more from like a consumer standpoint, what's kind of like one message you think they should take away from whether it's like composting or um, renewable energy? What do you think's the biggest thing that consumers should know like on an individual basis? Uh, well, how do you mean what, what they should know? Like I think just in food waste in general, or like um, it's just something educated on, or, or even just biogas is like if you can kind of like what's kind of, or here, maybe we could rephrase a little bit. Like if you think about countries that are excelling already in this space, or if it's not at all worldwide, what's allowed some of these prominent cities or countries to 
whether it's in their culture, like why is it instilled better in other areas rather than Ontario, for example? And what could could you say, like, as maybe not necessarily a total package solution here, but what's kind of missing, whether it's from like an educational sense or just, I I don't know, like where it's kind of coming from, but like, what could we kind of do? How do we bridge that gap almost? Yeah. Yeah. So I I mean, it's, it's a, it's a hard challenge, certainly. Um, you know, the, the big thing for me is trying to simplify these concepts. So using the analogy of the stomach that I did before uh, certainly makes the, the technology, oh, okay, I get it. See how that works. <laughs> um, you know, when we first uh, started um, promoting ZooShare, for example, or when I just started working in the biogas space, I had this want to, to explain it all to everybody. You know, this is really how the technology works. So that you could say, oh, that's so cool. And, uh, you know, I just really liked seeing um, people's sort of eyes light up when they got the understanding. They're like, whoa, 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 can you put banana peels in here? Or like, you know, whatever the waste stream that just popped into their head was, you know, that was a really cool thing for me to see. Um, but it, it didn't really make it very easy to, to sell um, because you end up spending all your time talking about the technology. Um, but so, you know, I think the other thing, uh, that I would, uh, you know, just want to leave people maybe with in terms of the, the value of organic waste is that, uh, you know, it's not a great effort to separate it, um, whether that's at home or at work. Um, and it, it is a valuable resource in that we can turn it into energy and then use it to grow more food. Um, But one of the things that also really resonated with me, like when I was talking before about the organics going to landfill and then letting the methane go in the atmosphere, um, just in terms of a lot of the climate modeling and whatnot, for every ton of organic waste that's diverted away from a landfill, you reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 1.4 tons. And so just through the fact that you're keeping out of the landfill, you cause a big reduction in emissions. And then you're turning it into usable energy, which doesn't necessarily have to come from fossil sources. And then there's avoided transportation, uh, particularly if the anaerobic digester is close to where the waste is being produced or even right on site. And so um, for me, that was like a really powerful uh, metric that was like, oh, you know, this is not an overly uh, onerous action for the individual to take to to properly sort their waste to make the effort to put the banana peel in the green bin rather than the garbage can but it's quite an impactful choice perfect yeah no that that's really awesome i think i really want to ask vanessa to a question about like how you even got into like sustainability like you said you were definitely a you know a diehard environmentalist when you're younger like did that kind of come from your parents do you have role models like what like where along the way from like being a little kid till now like did it really hit to you and like you, it becomes such a passionate part of your life because you're, you're super energetic and you love the topic and it just not, it, not like, that many people, I don't people that. that same page no no that's yeah. definitely like, growing i just i'm curious to like just understand more of your story and like upbringing if that's where you were inspired and stuff like that yeah yeah for sure it's actually funny because it didn't start i well i guess part of it started from just an admiration for nature in general but it actually started from my love for animals. Uh, for a long time, I wanted to be a vet. Ever since I was really, really young, I loved animals, always wanted a dog, never really had one. I had hamsters, fish, never got a dog. <laughs> but I was really, really in love with animals and wanted to be a vet. 
And then, you know, as you get older and you learn a bit more about the impact, the impacts, you know, that humans are having on wildlife, that's, that's what really pulled at my heartstrings. And I'm like, wow, you know, there's so many animals out there in every part of the world that's suffering in some way, shape or form because of, you know, some of the anthropogenic activities that are happening. And so my, my focus kind of shifted from domestic animals to wild animals. Then as you know, I continue to get older and, and get pushed through the education system and you learn more about what climate change is you're like wow this not only affects animals but it, it affects people as well it affects the whole planet so i think that's what really got me interested in you know the environment specifically it started with my love for animals but then as i started to educate myself then it just became a, a general love for the environment and wanting to protect it in terms of social entrepreneurship as i mentioned it kind of started when i i participated in the hackathon um and funny enough because i know you both go to laurier when I talked about the CEC and the Youth Innovation Challenge that I won, my partner was Adam Wally from, from that, and he's actually the president, well, he was the president of LASOC this past year, so I wanted to give a shout out to him because he also pushed me to really like business and, and want to research more about business and entrepreneurship, so shout out to Adam. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of how my love for the environment started, and it's been an ongoing passion. I think what I'm also really grateful for is the fact that I got super involved in school, like even in elementary school. I, I joined the Eco Club when I was in grade four. I was so young when I started getting involved, and I'm still super involved in extracurricular activities now uh, and that definitely helps me fuel my love for the environment awesome, awesome yeah um i guess another like point to because you talked a lot about the education system where do you guys get a lot of your information and where do you suggest people kind of go to learn more about the topic of what you guys are doing like whether like and not even just specifically just biogas like just in general where do you guys tend to consume this kind of stuff and then specifically for your niche like if someone wanted to learn more about this topic like how should they kind of figure this out a little bit more um well so i mean specifically i think the uh, the canadian biogas association has a excellent website and a number of resources um but just in general the you know all, all around the web you can find some great sources of information around uh, organic waste and, and making best use of it, whether that's the, the publication BioCycle is a good one. Uh, the American Biogas Council also has a wealth of resources available and courses available. Um, I mean, for me, it came from uh, first doing internet research and, and just reading what I could. Uh, and then there, there was, um, I can't, I think it was called the biogas handbook, but basically there, it, because biogas as a technology is really old, you know, the, the concept of just burying organic waste in a hole and then letting organics, uh, or biogas come out, um, you know, it, it just happens in nature. Uh, it was incredibly common in India. They call it gobar gas where, where they make gas out of the manure from their cows. And, um, and then it slowly but surely started to become commercialized. And so as a result, you, you have a, a wealth of information from people who do it like as a cottage industry type of hobby. You know, you built a tank in the backyard and you, uh, you know, you made a guidebook on how to make biogas. And so that was my first uh, foray into learning more about biogas was reading this. There's an expert, uh, I can't remember his name right now, but uh, he wrote this biogas handbook. And, uh, you know, for me, it just kind of told the whole story, not as a business uh, but from from the science and engineering perspective. So I have a business background. Um, and so I needed to, to better understand how the technology worked and, you know, what sources of organics were, were more valuable than others. And so uh, starting the journey there 
uh, with that biogas handbook and then going deeper with various publications and websites around the, the internet on on anaerobic digestion and then over time i just even went deeper with it so recently i picked up a book called the worm farmer's handbook uh, because i'm quite interested in taking what comes out of the biogas plant and feeding it to worms and then selling the output from the worms as the final product um, just because uh, worms and their bodies do some pretty magical stuff when it comes to processing organic waste and um, so you know I just read books like that and, and I spend time around the internet trying to see what cool stuff uh, other people are up to I mean there's a lot of academics and the increasing amount of academics that are doing research in this field and they publish some very cool papers um, but also just over the last 10 years across North America, there has been a lot more development in anaerobic digestion and a lot more investment interest, interest in, the, in the field overall. So it's driven, um, you know, both the amount of words that are out there and, and people speaking uh, is increased too. So yeah, it's, it's kind of like that, that I, I got my feet wet and learned a lot more. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. And Vanessa, yeah, if you want to continue to like, and even if like that was really great too, like even if you have some more like, um, maybe the pop, pop, like popular type content as well too, like, do you have like any social media channels that you like would kind of recommend even too, or, or, or like what you've like? learned like through school? Cause it might be like a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was just going to suggest one of the first things I did after I won the CC competition and I got the seed funding to start my bro my project, I joined a Facebook group called the Biogas Education Network. There's over 3,000 members in it from all over the world. So I think that's a good start if you really want to learn about biogas specifically. Another recommendation that I would have, again, since I know your audience is more catered towards students and university students, is to take courses related to sustainability or the environment specific to STEM, like specifically related to STEM, so science, technology, engineering, and math not so much the math part, but um, I think science courses, like it definitely helps you understand, you know, how the technology works and even not just specific to renewable energy, but climate change in general. I think it's really, really good to have that knowledge when you engage in conversations with, you know, other people who are interested in sustainability. I'd highly recommend taking courses related to sustainability or, or the environment um, if you can, if you have electives. Awesome. And, and just one more thing, because Dan, you even brought up the, um, the biogas event, like that networking event. What, what other kind of events were you able to go to or would you suggest people could potentially join if they not only have their own business or just want to be like an individual participating at these events? Um, do you want to speak about that? Um, well, I mean, I found, um, you know, so in a different, in addition to the annual events put on by the Canadian Biogas Association, uh, I'm a member of the Center for Social Innovation, and there are some some great uh, like workshops or or just even entrepreneurs there um, that that can pique your interest and and leave you down a, a rabbit hole. Um, and so I would highly recommend checking out what's being offered through the Center for Social Innovation, especially during now in COVID times. There's a lot of virtual. Uh, talks and webinars, which are much easier to join than, than necessarily getting to the building physically. Um, and so I, I would definitely recommend checking out what's uh, being offered around by the various people around CSI. Great. Um, so kind of like going into the, the tail end of the podcast here. Um, 
what is your experience of being a sustainable entrepreneur? So Dan, obviously you have a background in business, but specifically gearing it towards sustainability. And then Vanessa, you kind of came the opposite where you're really interested in sustainability and then tailored more yourself into, into business. How is that like merging of two worlds, change your perspective, whether it's your own daily life and like how you look and see the world or how it's influenced people around you and, and kind of your impact. Like, have you gained new perspective since you guys have embarked on this sustainable entrepreneur journey? And if you can just talk a little bit about that. Um, sure. So, I mean, I think for me, what was um, kind of an interesting experience was that, um, I, I, like, just being 39, not obviously not that old, but, you know, just sort of like in, in my generation, it was still more new to work in or, or care openly about the environment. Um, and so it was, it was interesting for me because I not only... Um, did I go to business school, but I like trained to become uh, a finance professional. And so I was working on Bay Street and, and doing the finance thing. And, and there in particular, it was also very taboo to, to be interested in the environment. Um, so personally speaking, it was an interesting growth path because I just had to get comfortable with this new business world that I was entering from the one that I was previously a part of. Where so I was always a little bit insecure, like you know, am I an imposter here, or uh, you know, do I got to keep this kind of viewpoint under my hat? Um, but you know, I think what was really cool of an experience and and something that I highly advocate for for everybody um, is is the entrepreneurship side of things. Um, you know, you're, you're you're betting on yourself, so to speak, but really, it's not quite. It's not it's not a very big bet, you know, because it's it's you that gets up every day in the morning and and has to. Um, you know, overcome the challenges and, and, you know, keep yourself motivated to keep going and, you know, stand up in front of the room and, and put your best foot forward about what you're about, and what you're interested in. Um, I think had I not uh, taken the plunge to start my own business and become an entrepreneur, uh, those skill sets within myself would still be quite undeveloped. And so, you know, my own mental toughness grew tremendously as a result of the fact that I had to count on me uh, to do it. And I had to figure it out. And, uh, you know, when things went poorly, I had to dust myself off and keep going. Um, there, there wasn't sort of the, the protective structure of, uh, the corporation when, when you have a job and you just get a paycheck and, you know, that's, that, that's above my pay grade, you could say, you know, you don't get to say that, uh, when you're an entrepreneur. And so it was, it was a really great experience, uh, of growth being an entrepreneur, but I think what's really satisfying is, knowing that I'm like putting my professional energy towards something that I personally believe in. And so, you know, I don't have to do uh, any of this compartmentalization that I think a lot of people have to do, unfortunately, because they, let's say they work for a company that doesn't do good stuff as they might define it. And then they go home and in the evenings and work in the evenings and weekends, they sort of live out that, that life that they want to. So what's really great is, you know, I get to pursue environmental solutions and trying to make an impact with my work time and energy. And um, even though at some point along the way, I came to terms with the fact that I wasn't going to save the world, I do get the benefit of knowing that I'm making a positive contribution and that helps me sleep better at night. Awesome. Yeah, that was great. And Vanessa, like floor is yours. Uh, yeah. Talk a bit about like what it was like, and I know the hackathon was definitely a big in integral part of like how you became who you were, but just what that whole experience was like from like a growth perspective and how that's changed your perspective going forward and like what you want to do post-graduation even. 
Yeah, for sure. So I guess prior to getting more into social entrepreneurship, I've always been on the activism side of things. So I lobbied my MP when I was 16, for example, on, on climate related <laughs> issues. I was, <laughs> I did. Yeah. So stuff in that manner, but I think with activism and policy changes, yes, they're super important, but they can only go so far because unless you have tangible solutions that you can actually implement, and normally that's driven by profit, right? Hence the social entrepreneurship side of things, um, then then you're not really going to have a, a full implementation of, of solutions. You're not going to have like the economic drive to do this. And I really do think the environment and the economy go hand in hand in hand. Um, so I am really happy to have been on the science side of things and learn from a scientific perspective in terms of my schooling. But I think it is really, really important to also consider the business aspect of things because, you know, I guess turning a profit and, and knowing that you're doing good in the world um, and creating something that is beneficial and ad advantageous, advantageous. Yeah, um, for for a certain cause is is super important, and and that's what's going to keep us pushing forward in in terms of finding climate solutions. Uh, so I guess that's where I, I come from. Is is you know you can only do so much with policy, but unless you have an actual solution that's developed and you push through and you find the economic incentive to do it, then uh, that's when you create real change. Amazing. Awesome. Yeah. You guys honestly killed it, <laughs> and. <laughs> a lot of cool insight like Lucas I me personally I learned a lot just by speaking to you both and it honestly like it's going to even motivate us to continue what we're doing and we want to share your message um if there's any kind of like last comments you want to leave with the viewers or maybe like a story from um your business that you want to share we can kind of wrap up with that or like even if you want to talk about like some potential you know not to say we're only going to post a lot of this content geared towards younger generations, but obviously like they're the ones that are going to see this and be inspired from it. So if you want to leave them with like, you know, maybe if they're holding themselves back from pursuing an entrepreneurial journey, whether it's social or not, but I, I don't know anything that you guys want to kind of leave the, the audience with, go for it. Uh, go ahead, Vanessa. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess, <laughs> yeah, I guess for myself, just always, be open to opportunities and possibilities that come up. If I, for example, if I had said no to the hackathon, I probably wouldn't have been as involved in social entrepreneurship, but I think it's just really important to be open to different possibilities and ideas. And most importantly, another piece of advice that I have is just to get involved, you know, in your community, you'll feel really great about it. You'll make amazing connections and, and network yourself, which is going to help you in the long term as it did with Daniel and I because <laughs> now we're working together um, and yeah so I think just always looking for opportunities always being open to what what doors open up for you and, and reaching for for those opportunities I think is really important that's a good one uh, I'm definitely going <laughs> to piggyback on the open to to ideas and opportunities one I mean one of the things that um, I think about sort of retrospectively when I look at the past path that I had to this point is that um, a lot of the doors that opened for me, you know, I kept going down that path and, and it led to, to other doors. And so, um, you know, my first jobs out of school were covering the utility sector. And so that's how I came to learn about electricity in general. And then it was from there that I started to study oh, renewable electricity a lot more and eventually met some entrepreneurs that were uh, building businesses in something I never heard of called biogas. And so, you know, just in continuing to, to follow the little breadcrumbs along here, um, it, it, it was 
you know, from paying attention, I guess, to, to what I was interested in that was in front of me and, um, and, and trying to pursue them further. I think that, um, I think the getting involved one is a, is a good point too from Vanessa. And I find it funny just because when I look back at my time in school, I was just terrible about getting involved. And uh, you know, I always say, oh, you know, what would have happened if I had only gotten involved? Um, but, uh, you know, obviously I'm, I'm here where I am now, taking my own journey to this point. Um, you know, my, my big thing is really that um, I think you should pursue what you're interested in. And uh, obviously we all have bills to pay and um, ambitions that, that aren't just monetary, but you know, we can't of course ignore paying bills and, and needing to earn money and take care of our families. And so I think that there, there's a lot more business opportunity um, within the generally speaking things you're interested in then perhaps you're led to believe as you go through school and you know mom and dad just tells you you know get a job work hard you know be good to your boss or whatever um you know i think that there um there there's really a lot of opportunity out there um and you know what's what's to me really amazing about um just web tools at this point is, is how everybody could be an entrepreneur to some extent. Um, you know, of course, there's a commonly used phrase about the side hustle, um, but I, I just think um, as individuals, it's incredibly important that we pursue any of the things that we're interested in and, and try to put products or services out there and uh, get slapped in the face a few times with failure. Um, but you know, know that you can handle it and know that, you know, you've, you've got some value, your ideas, your products, your designs, uh, if you can sell them easily, which you can through a lot of means now, uh, it's incredibly empowering. And I think it's, it's an incredible growth experience too. both, uh, the, both the, uh, the getting slapped in the face, but also the, you know, getting pat on the back and, uh, and making a sale. And, uh, those kinds of things are, are really they really fill you up. And so I, I highly recommend, um, you know, to anybody, if they're thinking about trying something to, to just start taking the steps toward it and uh, giving it a shot in, in uh, you know, even in a, um, in a small scale way. Um, I'm, I'm a big proponent of, uh, of just taking baby steps towards the goals you want to take not to uh, build it up in your mind as some gargantuan thing that's, you know, oh, I don't, that's not my personality or I can't do those kinds of things. I think if you just start taking those, those few steps towards it, you, you know, you'll see that, oh my, oh, I'm already halfway there. Oh, I might as well just keep going or, you know, whatever it might be. So I, I always like to tell people to, to just, you know, take those first steps, you know, give it a try, see what happens. And uh, so that, that would be my, my parting advice here tonight. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, and thank you for having us. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you would like to learn more, visit us at www.last20.ca. Until next time, stay sustainable.